You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. Hey, and good morning again, everybody. It is great to see everybody here today. Beautiful day outside, even more beautiful inside. Because you're sitting, sitting next to some of the most great people in the world, aren't you? And if you didn't say amen, you're going to have to make some amends after service here. But anyway, we're going to wrap up the series today, Psalms, Truths for Life. We've uh, done this for about seven weeks. Uh, Pastor Danielle did a, a message. Pastor Ben uh, from our district office did one last Sunday. Pastor Austin, he shared as well. And so today, I'm going to be sharing from Psalm 119. And we're going to be reading all 176 verses this morning. Just kidding. We'll just do a segment, but we're going to get into this, and I'll be sharing with you why that chapter is so long, what does it have to say, all those variety of things. So would you stand for the reading of the Word? And we're just going to do the first, read the first eight verses. I'll be referencing some of the others in addition to this, but this is where we'll begin. So read with me. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. The Holy Spirit, we pray as the word is taught that our minds and our hearts are open to what you have to say to us. We know that we listen with our ears, but there's an element inside of us that the Holy Spirit speaks to, an element inside of us that listens to that Holy Spirit. So I pray that we can be receptive to learning and growing in you, in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you. Be seated. So as we're looking at this book, to, or this particular psalm today, 119, I'm going to probably take about eight minutes to set this up. And one of the things I want to encourage you is this. This information that I'm going to give here is really designed, I would say, if, uh, if you have your Bible with you, to put in the margin so that the next time you go to Psalm 119, you go, I know how to derive more benefit from what I'm reading other than just reading this chapter because it's one of those uh, chapters, you know, most of us have a uh, set time for our devotional life. You know, I'm going to read the scripture so long, maybe I'm going to listen to some our podcast or, or I'm going to read a book in addition to what I read in the Word. And then you get to Psalm 119 and you go, yeah, this might be another cup of coffee because I'm reading the equivalent of probably what would be four or five chapters with most of the of chapters in the, in, the, in the book of Psalms. So the question really becomes this, why, why are there so many verses in one chapter? 
Why didn't they break it up into four or five chapters? It just, it just doesn't seem reasonable. Plus, there is a rhythm in the Psalms. I mean, most of the, most of the uh, Psalms are about 15 to 25 verses, you know. And then you get to the Psalm 119, and you're like, wow, looks like the rhythm didn't, somebody didn't follow the rhythm of the book. Why is that? So we're gonna, I'm going to lay out some things that will help you to appreciate what, we're, what you're reading in the future and, and then hopefully set up for what I'm saying today. So I've used this uh, when I've been sharing on the Psalms, and it's this. The Psalms are broken up into five books. If you go in there and you see your Bible, you'll probably note that there are, it, you'll see a, a heading, book one, book two. And we're looking at Psalm 119, which is a parallel to a lot of the teachings in Deuteronomy, and it covers God's word and praise. And of course, you're going to see that there is a parallel with Psalm 119 today. But it's one of the longest chapters in the Bible, 176 verses. I'm pretty sure no preacher has ever preached on this chapter and read all 176, much less preached all 176 of them. So who wrote this? Who wrote this chapter? Well, most theologians agree that David most likely wrote it. There's no absolute 100% way to know, but he gets, I would say, most of the votes. But there are theologians who say, I think a case can be made for Ezra, Daniel, or Jeremiah. Now, it doesn't change the value or the inspiration if this statement it doesn't change the fact that, well, this is important. No, we're just trying to understand the backdrop. Now, when you get into it, some theologians actually believe that if David wrote it, it's a great chapter that most likely could have been written to his son Solomon, preparing him for the leadership role that he was going to be entering in. Because when you read the chapter or uh, the chapter 119, you do see a lot of verses that fit the overall life that David has had. Even some of the language is similar to some of the other psalms that David wrote. So some believe Psalm 119 was addressed to Solomon. And there's a reason, because of how the chapter is laid out. And so let's, be, let's look at that just a little further. Every verse references God's word, except five verses. Verse uh, 84, verse 90, verse 121, 122, and 130. Now, I already know there's some of you, all right, you're going to do your homework right. Do the homework on your own time. You need to stay engaged right here. Okay, do the, I'm just kidding. Because I, I, some people, really, only five times? Yeah, there's five times. And when I say reference God's words, it's this. He, all, he uses these, every verse contains one of these words. Law, statute, way, precept, decree, command, word, promise. Every verse has one of those words in it. Except for the five that I mentioned. Now, those five are not outliers. They fit the context. But it's just for whatever reason, a word did, those, one of those words didn't make in, in, into those verses. But, so what you see here is this. Psalm 119 is all about God's word. That's the theme. The theme is, let me tell you the value of God's word. And another thing is this. You notice those are all different words. Each word has its own unique Hebrew word. So what's the difference between a law and a statute and a precept and a decree? And I could have gone that direction, and that would have been the sermon alone. But I didn't want to go that direction. So that's, that's maybe some other time, some other element. But at least you start to see the whole thing is all about God's word. So when you read Psalm 119, you should put up at the top, this chapter is telling me the value of God's word in my life. 
Okay? Now, here's the other part. Why all those verses? Well, it is broken up into 22 stanzas. That's a real fancy word, isn't it? For, for us who speak English, paragraphs. And each contains eight verses. All 22 segments all contain eight verses. If you look at it, you go, yeah, there is. They're, they're all eight verses. And there's 22 segments. And you go, why is there 22 segments? Because there's 22 letters in the alphabet, and every stanza begins with a new letter in the, in the Hebrew language. Why did they do that? Well, hang on to your, you ready for this? You realize they all didn't have a copy of the Bible. So you were relinquished to what, most people were relinquished to what they could memorize. And so what they did was every eight verses began with a new letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So it was a way to memorize this. Yes! You're supposed to memorize Psalm 119. Some of you, oh, Lord, help me. I can't even remember how to get home. Yeah, some of us know that you actually use Siri to get home. Anyway, that's another, day, that's another thing, all right? So, so the point being is, so every segment begins with a new letter from the Hebrew alphabet. So it covers, there's 22 stanzas, there's 22 letters in the alphabet. And that's what, so what's really cool is, it, again, it's emphasizing lettuce. He's saying, let me show you the value and the importance of God's word in your life. And again, if you go back and look at this, is possibly David writing to Solomon. It really even carries, I think, some real important messaging. Because David is a guy who ran contrary to God's word on occasion, and he really paid some prices. And you look at this psalm, and you're basically, he's like looking at, at Solomon going, you don't want to do what I just did. You don't want to make those mistakes. And let me help you. Let me give you something so that you have a higher value and a higher regard for God's word than there were at times in my life. Don't go repeat those mistakes. And how many know Solomon went and repeated the mistakes? Yeah. So anyway, let's begin to look at this. So we're gonna, I'm going to read, we're going to read a statement that is reflective of what those eight verses is teach, what the eight verses are teaching. So let's look at the first eight verses. So everybody read the first point with me. When you look at God's standards and know you don't measure up, keep reaching for the ideals in the Bible. If you haven't recognized by now, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God has a high standard, a high bar, and so... Us being humanity, we all have times in our life when we fall short and the temptation we fight is this. Then why try? Why, why even make the effort? And the key that he's saying here is this. Don't use your flaws as a reason to exit the goal of being perfected in Christ. He says, oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. How many know that definitely sounds like David? I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. So he acknowledges his failure. He acknowledges his shortcomings. And he comes back with, I will praise you with an upright heart. I'm not giving up. Just because I messed up doesn't mean I'm giving up. 
He presses in. He says, I'm going to learn your righteous law. So when we make mistakes, it's going to do one of two things. It's going to be the basis for quitting or the basis of learning so that we never do it again. It's one of the two. Now, the other thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the New Testament and show you how these things are reflected in the teachings of the New Testament so that you understand how the New Testament teachings come from the Old Testament. You may have seen this, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. I think it's ironic that there's 176 76 verses on the value of God's Word, and Paul summarizes it in two verses. That's anointed editing. He says in 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is God-breathed, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We most of the time read this in a very positive light because of the positive elements that are in it. Do you recognize there's two negative elements in here? And these negative elements are an indication of who we are. It says that it's also useful for rebuking and correcting. God put scriptures in here that not only train us and teach us, he gave us scriptures that also rebuke us and correct us because he knew we were going to screw up. And you know what? I don't get warm fuzzies when I read those verses. I'm all about the training and the learning and the equipping and the growing, but God knew I was going to mess up and God knew you were going to mess up. So he said, let me go ahead and put those in there. Not because just in case you do, God says, I already know you will. So the word is important. It's acknowledging that you and I are flawed. Now that doesn't mean we just go out and intentionally do stuff. We give it our best shot. And when we fall short, we don't use it as an excuse. We say, I fell short. How do I do better? I need to take responsibility. I need to make amends. I need to make things right. The word is not just for advancing my life. Listen to me. The word is also for fixing me. So we don't fall short and go, oh, I try. Standard of holiness is too much. It's too high. It's too difficult. No. God doesn't lower his standard, his expectations, just because we struggle. Every professional athlete desires to have the perfect game. Every professional athlete strives to have the perfect game. Even when they win, they still will review the game and they will still make a determination, what can I do better the next time I perform, the next time I play, because the goal is not just the win. I want to play the perfect game. I want to do 100% everything right. Athletes don't quit because they only got 96% of it right. Well, I never, even though we won, I was 4% of the time, I wasn't where I needed to be, I wasn't doing what I needed to be, I missed the shot, I missed the goal, I missed the pass, I missed the run, I missed the tackle, I missed the check, I missed the shot, whatever. Every athlete strives to have the perfect game, and it's that striving that keeps them on course but they don't use it to quit. It makes them better. Never use failure as your off-ramp. Why try? Uh-uh. No, you failed. That's why you try. You engage again, you try. You give it your best shot. And everybody said amen. amen. And I saw those who didn't, and we'll talk later. <laughs> Number two, this is the next segment of eight verses, okay? The next segment. Read number two with me. If you are young, don't let your friends dictate how you act. 
Take God's advice. I've always wanted to preach to the youth, and today's the day. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? Boy, there's a, there's a key word that needs to be said today. Young person, purity. By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have Now notice this. They don't have the ability to have the book with them. The copy of God's word stays at the temple. So they have to remember and they have to memorize God's word. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The writer says, I heard that and I need to memorize that. I need to take it with me. That's not a statement that I just need to remember for a few days. It is a statement that I need to keep in my life so I will memorize what was just said. I will memorize what was just read. And he's saying that's the key to the purity. So that the voice of God's word memorized in your heart is louder than the voice of temptation. What happens is the voice of temptation is often louder than God's word. Because our flesh has it, it appeals more easily to the temptation. So all the more reason we have to memorize God. Not just be aware of what God's word says, but actually memorize it. Now, here's the thing. Purity. That's a struggle today. Because what happens is this today in this purity thing is this. Most parents would say, I will never let this in my house or that in my house. And then this comes along. And whether you want to keep it out of your house or not, there are so many gateways with this thing to bring stuff into your, your child's life or your teenager's life or as a young adult. And here's what's happened. Many times you will hear this statement by a younger generation that you, you say this. Yeah, I understand what the standards were for you. I understand what you went through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you don't understand my world. And I'm here to tell you, I may not, but God understands your world. And guess what? The bar of purity doesn't go down. It goes up. Because you have more coming at you. So it's not, well, I can't measure up to your standards. Good. Because you're supposed to exceed mine. Oh, that'll, that'll preach. <laughs> oh, did I mention I have to quote the New Testament to back all this up? Did I mention that earlier? I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> Notice what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. It used to be you always had to worry about the people who were in your life, physically present, right there, the time that they spent. But now you can get bad company on this thing. And you may never meet them, you may never see them in person, in the flesh, but they can have more influence over you than people who are in front of you. Bad company can come through here as well. And it says, do not be misled. It corrupts good character. Oh, I can handle it. The Bible says you can't. The Bible says you will lose that battle. Don't play with it. Don't see how far you can go and keep the lines clear. No, you don't do that. 
And remember I said your standard goes up? I got a verse for that. I'm glad you asked. 1 Timothy 4.12. How about we all read this together? Come on, read it. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. The Bible sometimes runs contrary to how we think. Here's an example. If I said, how many of you believe that the older generation ought to be a good example to the younger generation, there would be an amen. And I would say, how many believe that now the younger people are supposed to be an example to the older people? I will not shirk my responsibility to be a good example to any young adult or teenager or child in this church. But I want you to know the Bible also calls on you to be a good example to me. We could just have an altar call right now. <laughs> you think, hey, you know, when, when, I, when I get where Pastor Greg is, then my standard goes up. No, you're actually supposed to have a standard that possibly could exceed mine. Because it says you're to set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Wow. Let that sink in for a second. See how sometimes our cultural biases get the best of us? And then we run into stuff like this. Why? Because we don't see what we're not looking for. So, the, so the, the code of purity is not based on my age. It is based on God's expectation of me. We sometimes go, well, you know, God understands my heart. Yeah, I know. And he had to die for what's in there <laughs> and be raised from the dead. Yeah, I know. He knows your heart. I get it. But he did not change his expectation of you. up here you know it's hard to listen to me it's hard to have an impact in the world when you look like the world you smell like the world and you do what the world does somewhere along the way we have to get comfortable and I'm talking to the youth and talking to the young somewhere along the way get comfortable that you're different and stop apologizing for it just get comfortable I'm different why don't you do I'm, I, I don't do that why I'm, I'm different why don't you I, I, I don't do that well, why don't you talk? I'm different. Get comfortable being different. Everybody said amen. amen. All right. You know, a pastor has a gift of discernment. He can always sense when he's supposed to move on to the next point. I could sense. All right, we got it. Move on. Here we go. Number three, read it out. Oh, by the way, 22 stanzas. Did you know I have 22 points? Seriously. I actually went through and said, what's the theme? So I had 22 points. And then I went, yeah, I, don't, I know I can endure. I just don't think they can endure Jesus. So I, I boiled it down. So we're only going to do five. You didn't have to sound that relieved. Dear Lord, come on, give me a break. Be impressed with the fact that I actually did all 22. 
and we're, gonna, we're cutting it down to the five. And, and if I get through all five, fine. If I, I'll just, at some point when I recognize the time and all that, so I'll be sensitive. I'm just going to go until I'm done. Amen. <laughs> yeah, amen, amen. <laughs> Number three, read it out loud. Don't let the bad example of a leader become your excuse for not seeking or loving God's ways. Did you know that was in the Bible? How many times people throw their faith away because some influential figure in their life or some influential figure in the faith messed up and so they toss everything that God has ever done in their life aside because after all, if that wasn't legit or deception and maybe what's happened in my life or I just don't have anything more to do. Look, can I, look at this. Verse 23, though rulers sit together and slander me, your servant will meditate on your decrees. He says, even though my leaders have my name for lunch, I'm not quitting. Your statutes are my delight. Notice he doesn't say my leaders. My, he says, your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. Listen, you can't live and not somewhere along the way in life a leader lets you down, a leader does something that, that discourages you or disillusions you because if you haven't realized by now, leaders aren't perfect. Okay, let me try that again. <laughs> Sounds like some of you just got a revelation there. Leaders aren't perfect. But why are we so disillusioned when they're not? Because we, we sometimes don't know how to see them and how to deal with their failures. And, and can, I hit, can I hit the pause button a minute? Pause. <laughs> Pastor Greg is not about to confess to anything at this moment. <laughs> the only reason I'm preaching on this is because it was in the psalm. Everybody got that? Okay, now we will unpause and continue the message. You know, sometimes you can see the look and people say, is he about, no, we're all good. All right, so it's, it hurts when leaders fail us because they have such an important role in our life. We get discouraged, frustrated, and we had expectations of what they were like, and then something comes out, and that's not what they were, and it, it causes us to be disillusioned. And then we start questioning whatever that leader taught us or whatever role that, so was that a false impression? Was that a false imprint that they had? Listen, Jesus still did the work in you, not the leader. The leader was the tool, but the work was Jesus. And can I tell you, did I say we're going to go to the New Testament and prove every one of these things? Okay. Did you know that Paul had the same problem? Paul was a great leader. He's raising up leaders. And then he ended up in prison. And he had some leaders who really kept the message going. And then he had other leaders who turned on him. What was his response? Well, we can read it because it's actually in Philippians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. This is what he said. He said, it is true that some preach out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But notice, it. notice how he takes the high road. But what does it matter? 
The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preaching because of this I rejoice. Do you see how Paul takes the high road? I've got people I've discipled into leadership. They know what, they, they know what they're to do. And because I'm in chains, they're going rogue on me. Now, I've got some I've trained, and they're doing well, and they're keeping the faith, and they're teaching what they're supposed to. But I also have another group that does it. And Paul says, you know what? This, this would have been the point where Paul could have said, this apostleship, this Christian movement, forget it. This is not worth it. But he took the high road. Everybody, listen, if you follow Jesus long enough, somebody in the faith lets you down. And that's where you really start to find out where your faith is based. My wife knows this story. Where she's good with me sharing it. When, we were, when I was in college, by the time I went to college, we had had a youth pastor for about six, seven years. And uh, we, were, we had a large youth group when nobody had a large youth group. You know, large back then was 40, 50. We're running a couple hundred. How many of you have ever seen the movie, The Jesus Revolution? See, that's, that's where we're from. You know, I used to have a big afro, <laughs> leisure suit, platform shoes, played the bass, had a lot of people yelling at me that I was of the devil playing the bass with this, this Christian rock stuff and all this kind of stuff. And uh, some, some of you, how many of you know Jeremy Camp? His dad was our band leader, Jeremy Camp's dad. So I remember Jeremy, he was a little baby, you know, and Tom, his dad got saved. He was a drunk, got saved. So here we are, you know, we're doing the Jesus revolution kind of thing and people calling us of the devil and get right with God. And I feel God calling me to go to the ministry. So I go to college. And then during my, after my junior year, I come back, I'm going to do internship. And I heard some things about my youth pastor. Now, by that time, I've had this guy for eight years in my life. And I heard some things. And so I knew the lead pastor was asking questions and the, and the conversation was he was getting ready to split the church and go plant something in town. He was going to split the church. He kept denying that. So finally it came to the point where I had enough friends who said they got it firsthand that I, because I was on an internship and obviously he would have been an influential person in that internship. I went to him. I said, hey, I got to ask you just like point blank. I'm hearing it. And I've heard it from credible people, people that are my friends, people that I had long standing here in this church. And they're saying, you're doing it. He said, I'm not doing that. I don't know where people are getting this. I'm not doing it. He then flew out to California, was gone a month, came back, split the church and started. I was like, really? This is what the ministry does? It just gives you a better poker face? So you can lie? You can... You can you're just better at looking people square in the eye so you can get away with stuff. And it was a real, real challenge because I had one year left. I had actually one semester and then a half a semester after that. We were going to be getting married in seven months. And in nine months, I was going to be in my first ministry position. So we were at a real critical stage. And, you know, the games that go on in my head, I don't, I, I don't think I want to join that group. I don't know what's going on, but I don't want to be one of them. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to learn that skill set. Now, let me just say, everything's good today. We're on good terms with my former youth pastor. All's, everything's been repaired. Man, if he walked in here, he would be proud of me. I would, I would introduce him. I would embrace. So all's good now, okay? Everything's well. But that was a real crucial point for me in my life. 
did I want to do this with the risk of becoming that? I didn't want that. And again, you come back to, I don't mean to sound crude. I don't want to sound crass when I say this. I'm just telling you how it all boiled out for me. Just a summary. I came to this determination. I never met anybody that I wanted to go to hell over to prove my point. I'll show you. I'll throw my soul away. Now you'll feel really bad. No, you know who's going to feel bad about throwing the soul away? Me. And I just went, you know what? He doesn't control my salvation. And he was a tool, but he's not who saved me. Come on, people. I'm serving the one who saved me. And that kept my trajectory. Because here's the thing. If I would have taken the bait and gotten offended and walked away, I would not be here today. We've all been hurt. But that's not a license to exit the faith. And everybody said amen. Amen. All right, one more. That's all I got time with. This is the last point. Here we go. Read it out loud. When depression overwhelms you, look to the word for strength. Depression plays mind games. Depression distorts reality. Depression creates a storyline that doesn't consider facts. It, crea- it plays to the emotions. And here's what, here's what the psalmist wrote. I am laid low in the dust. How many know that's Depression. Preserve my life according to your word. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Keep me from deceitful ways. See, depression will bring deceitful ways on you. Be gracious to me and teach me your law. What happens in depression, it forces, we think in depression that we need to pull ourselves in. We want to go into an interior world where nobody can get to us, nobody can touch us. We just shut it down, we close it down. And can I tell you, you're playing to the devil's tactics by doing that. Because instead of shutting down, you need to run to the Bible and say, I need more of it, not less. I need to counter these battles that I'm having in my head and in my heart, I need to counter it with the words. Secondly, I need to stay connected to healthy people. I need the input of healthy people so that they can talk to me and encourage me. This is not a battle you fight by yourself. So get around people who have encouragement and hope and believe in God's restoration and help in these. And the third thing is this. There's a spectrum of depression. Sometimes it's mild, sometimes it's more moderate, and then there's other times it can be severe. Know when you need to go see a professional counselor. Know that. It's not self, it's not defeating. It's just using a person who has a better skill set in helping you. Everybody said amen. Because see, here's, here's where the Bible. Did I mention I'm going to use the New Testament every time that we do? That's my way of seeing if you're still here. Paul talks about this. He talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. A lot of times preachers will reference that, stop that, and there's a little shouting and hallelujah, and you want to go, hmm, you need to keep going. Because that, 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 that thought is not contained in one sentence. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. That'll get you jumping. 
But wait a minute, what, what, demolish strongholds. We're demolish. I would like to know this. What are we demolishing? Right? You know what I'm saying? I mean, you, you could, people, their imagination goes, wow. What? When we say demolish strongholds, what is that? He says it in the next verse. We demolish, look at this, arguments. Every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That tells us where the battle is. The mind. And depression knows how to play games in the brain. We'll look at something and distort it because of depression. We'll misunderstand a situation because of depression. People will try to help and we'll misread the help. Depression has a way of distorting how we listen, how we receive, how we have thought processes. It will will start adopting things that are contrary to God's word. Why? Because we need to explain the pain in our brain. And the devil is really good about feeding you lies about why you hurt so bad. And again, you come back to, I need to be going to God's word. I know how I think, I know how I feel, but I also know what God's word says and I need to go. That may not be me right now, but I lay claim that that's going to be me. I'm going for a standard that I don't possess yet, but I'm not giving up just because it's not a reality in my life today. Then I also need to know when I need to get some outside help. That's not, that doesn't mean I'm losing the battle. It just understands I'm saying I understand the battle I'm in. God's word does more than save our soul. It heals the mind, body, and spirit. Sometimes the toughest wounds in the world are the ones you can't see. There's people who bleed inside and nobody can see it. There's people whose hearts are shattered, they're broken. You can't see that because sometimes they're just good at being able to act a certain way so that you don't know what's going on inside. And can I tell you, the Holy Spirit knows all about your wounds. And he's, listen, he's not condemning. He just says, will you let me help? But you've got to let the Holy Spirit use the tools that the Holy Spirit uses and go, what? That's like me going to the dentist. Hey, you're not going to be using that little scraper hook thing, you know. You know, uh-uh. Uh, hey, you're not going to be like, hey, you know, that, 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 I don't like circular toothbrushes, you know. You know, you don't tell a dentist the tool. The, the dentist says, these are the tools. If you want me to do the job, these are my tools. I can help you, but you got to let me use my tools. That's God. He has tools. Don't go, ah, I don't want you. Let him use his tools. His word, his spirit, other people. He has a lot of tools to help you. Let him do his work. And everybody said amen. Come on, let's everybody stand to our feet as we wrap up the service today. Would you do that? And I want you to praise him right now for being the God who has all that you have, all that you need. Come on, lift your hands. Praise him right now. Praise him for being the God. He's got what you need today, man. Come on.